What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of Everything But Hockey. I'm your host, Andrea Helfrich. And on the show, we are continuing to honor and celebrate the strong, successful, intelligent women in sports. And my guest today embodies all of those characteristics and so much more. Her name is Heidi Browning. She's the chief marketing officer of the National Hockey League. And today she's talking about her unconventional path to get where she is today. Honestly, her story is a beautiful reminder for anyone who maybe you're in college and you're not sure if you're a major dictates what you actually want to do in life, or you've already graduated, but you want to do something completely different. This episode is for you. And also those of you who are interested in getting into sports. I know there are so many of you that want to get into the industry. So the end of this episode, I open it up to a Q&A and I asked her the questions you submitted, including, I love this one, tips for people graduating school this May and trying to get a marketing job in sports. I love this one because she drops some sound advice. So if this pertains to you, get your notebook out, get your notes open and ready. There's just a lot of information in this episode that I think will benefit a lot of you because Heidi has been through it all. And we start at the beginning of her marketing career and go through her different positions at MySpace, Pandora, and of course now the NHL. So get ready. It's a great conversation and it all starts right now. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's going to be a fun one. I'm very excited to have you on. Like I was just geeking out when I had to send you actual questions. I was like, shoot, I had all these like stream of consciousness and I'm like, all right, let me try to formulate these into proper questions. So did you have a chance to look at them? I did. It's all just life, right? So, uh, you know, life and work. So uh, we'll just roll, you know? It is, it is life, which I want to start like at the beginning of your life, if that's Uh cool. Because forgive me if I'm wrong and just like missing something, but you went to school for international studies, right? International, really. Uh, it, it was technically called international affairs, uh, but yes. Okay. Makes me feel better because when I saw that, I'm like, wait a minute, something doesn't line up. So you went to school. What did you think you were going to do with that degree when you went to school? Yeah, I honestly, I thought I was going to go to law school. So that was my, my path and my plan. I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to maybe travel overseas. And, um, you know, it wasn't until I was actually working off my tuition for the LSAT, which is the prep school exam for law school, um, that I sort of had my first marketing moment. And from there, I never turned back. Well, what was that marketing moment? Um, well, it's a funny story uh, because it was, um, you know, I was working in Boulder, Colorado on a hot summer day. All my friends were out having an awesome, you know, time enjoying the weather. And I was, you know, I had to work. And so, uh, and, and our office was on this walking street mall. And so I decided, well, everyone else is outside. I'm going to go outside too. So I literally brought the inside of the office outside on the walking mall. And I set up a desk and a table and all of our brochures and brought the phone out. It was attached to a cord at the time and um, sat there and enjoyed the sun. And I generated more leads than we had ever generated before in the history of the company, just by taking the, you know, the inside out into the public. So I won a marketing award. And from there on, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool you know so I love like the accidental beauty in that now what job did you have at that time were you in college that was for Kaplan test prep so and it was really I was you know working part-time as a college student there that is so cool so from there did you get a big promotion or like were they like oh we love you. What would happen then? Well, I was just part-time there. Um, I ended up, um, you know, kind of 
traveling, following my heart, traveling across the US and working at Kaplan in both the East Coast as well as back here in California. So it evolved into, you know, a real marketing job. Uh, and that's where I basically got all my, you know, marketing, um, uh, you know, training uh, before going into the digital space. Wow, that's so wild. And at this point, had you graduated yet or you were still finishing out school? I was, uh, yeah, I was still finishing out school, but almost to graduating. I mean, it was at that point in time where, you know, you have to make the decision, like, am I going to apply to law school or not? And uh, I chose not to and uh, turned out okay. <laughs> now, okay. So after you kind of figured out, all right, I don't want to do law school. I like marketing. Where did you have your eyes set? Like is where you are now, where you envisioned you would be then? So, you know, I, I don't know that I ever imagined myself in, you know, as a CMO of a major league sport. I always imagined myself as a CMO of an amazing company uh, that was, uh, you know, really grounded in passionate fandom. So that's where my uh, training and, um, and enthusiasm happens. It's just, uh, you know, super lucky that I managed to join the NHL. But you said something important that resonates, you know, you always knew you want to be CMO of a major company. Now, did you ever do anything where you like wake up every day and you repeat that out loud or you write it on a notepad or any type of manifestation that did help you get there? You know, I, again, I've always focused on what is the problem I'm trying to solve? What is the goal we're trying to reach? What is the, you know, what are we trying to accomplish here? Um, always for the view of what's good for the company, what's good for the customer, um, never with the lens of what's good for me. And I think that's a secret to my success is because it has been all about business results and delivering on those promises, as opposed to really focusing on my own career trajectory. If you do a good job, the rest will follow. It's kind of like similar to when people say, don't focus on the money, focus, do what you love, the money will come. But yeah, that's, that's a great piece of advice. And it, it's funny, we'll get to it at the end, but I put out on my Instagram that we were doing this today and I got a flood of questions. You know, so many people were asking for advice. So we're going to bookmark that little tidbit of a tip, which is awesome. And we'll have more throughout the conversation, but okay. Accidental switch into marketing, essentially. You travel the country doing that. And then when did you make the jump into the world of MySpace? So I, I, the, I worked at Kaplan for years as a marketing generalist and worked for some pretty amazing uh, people who are at the forefront of marketing uh, in, in the day, one-to-one uh, -one marketing. And um, one day, uh, a friend of mine who was a recruiter um, said, hey, I, I know you're you know, really happy, but I want you to meet this, um, this guy. He's trying to build a digital ad agency here in San Francisco. And this was like early, early days. And he's like, I think you'll like him. So we went, uh, I went to meet him. We had lunch and we had this lovely conversation about all things marketing and the future and where digital was, which was really nascent at the time. And uh, at the end of the lunch, he said, so do you want a job? <laughs> and I said, uh, sure, there's only one problem. I don't know anything about the internet. And he's like, don't worry, nobody does. And that was the time where somebody gave me a chance based on the fact that I had all the knowledge of marketing. I just needed to apply it in a new place, in a new space. And I had the curiosity that was required to learn. And that is what, that's the day I fell in love with digital and marketing. And it was the day that changed my life forever. 
That is so cool. But also something I picked up on what you said is you wouldn't have had the opportunity nor would the offer have been made if you hadn't had all that marketing experience under your belt. And I think that's very important because you always get the question of like, is luck involved? Is networking really important? And I feel like, and what's your take? But my thought is, of course, networking is important, but you need to talk the talk to walk the walk. Exactly. Um, networking is absolutely important. A lot of, you know, and I believe in feeding the universe, right? So I believe in networking and helping others connect with, you know, new roles, new opportunities, because it will come back to you in positive ways, whether it's for yourself or for hiring other people. Um, but you got to know what you're talking about. And you got to know what you're doing. And when you, uh, and it's okay to not know what you're doing, as long as you understand where your, um, you know, your blind spots are and work on those. Okay, so always keeping those weaknesses at the forefront to strengthen them. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a difference between, you know, um, you know, not understanding the topic, uh, you know, that you're, you're, uh, that you can learn versus having the fundamental skills. So you can apply your fundamental skills in marketing to any topic, right? Whether it's, you know, you're marketing music or you're marketing sports or you're marketing, you know, toilet paper, there's still principles of marketing that apply across the board. And so that's where that foundation is so important. And it sounds like that is exactly what gave you the confidence to jump into a space that you, like you said, knew nothing about, but no one did at the time. Exactly. Now, talk to me about the social media era, like being a pioneer in the space, growing up, I feel like you, you grew up with social media. What would you say was the biggest either advantage or thing you learned about jumping in headfirst, not knowing anything, Wild West, social media days? What did, what did you learn then? I think it goes back to jumping into digital without knowing it. I became addicted to the unknown, right? And uh, and we became really obsessed at our agency and just personally about learning how could we push the boundaries, how could we, you know, challenge ourselves, challenge creativity, challenge measurement, you know, challenge like you know all forms of marketing in this new digital space. And so um, we've been building a very successful business um, based on that philosophy, that intersection of media and creative and technology. And so when social media came, we, you know, it was so wildly different than anything else we were doing. And uh, it gave us a really interesting and new opportunity to market as a brand. Uh, and um, when Rupert Murdoch bought MySpace, that was when I had the opportunity to go over and work for the new organization. And it was, uh, quite possibly one of the best experiences of my entire career. It was also one of the hardest experiences of my entire career because that was at the moment when this was a cultural zeitgeist around the world. It was growing so fast. We were, you know, breaking ad servers and, you know, everything in breaking cultural norms and uh, redefining how uh, brands connect with consumers and that was quite possibly the most exciting part of it because we were um, in the middle of something that we didn't know how big it was gonna be, but we knew it was pretty special. And when you think about the overall you know, um, moment in time, iPhones were out. So for the first time, 
every person had the ability to be a creator. Uh, and then you had MySpace, you had this incredible platform to distribute your content. So it was disrupting traditional content models at a time uh, when nobody knew what to expect. It was user generated content. It was you know scary for a lot of brands. So we spent a lot of time educating big brands on the power of social media, the power of having a one-to-one -one relationship with your customers and the importance of listening. And I think that's when the, um, the social contract between brands and consumers changed forever uh, because consumers suddenly had a voice and they expected brands to listen. And the brands who were the ones who were listening and adapting and, uh, and you know, using those insights to drive their business were the ones that were winning in that time. Wow. And I feel like that has stayed true to now. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, we rewrote the marketing book forever with social media. Did you feel like your life was, did it look anything like the social network, the movie? <laughs> no, it was, it was fun though, because, um, you know, MySpace really started in the music space. So you'd be cruising through the halls of, uh, you know, MySpace and, you know, little Sean would be there hanging out with the, you know, everybody and all the musicians love to be in the building itself and connecting to the people that were connecting them to fans because it was really democratizing music in a, in a way, right? Because um, it was allowing you to connect with, other people, like-minded people, um, regardless of whether you knew them or not, but around a common interest. And that common interest was music and specific artists. In fact, um, you know, uh, Taylor Swift even, uh, you know, she got her start, uh, you know, star of recognition on MySpace. And she often credits that in her, you know, speeches and stuff. And so when you think back to the role MySpace played in culture in music and in marketing, it was pretty incredible. Now, okay, so this makes a lot of sense because it seems like a natural transition to Pandora and your job there with being in the music space because we don't mean Pandora jewelry, we mean the streaming platform. Yeah. So, yeah. which fascinates me because I have a little bit of, I've got a background in music. I host also for Ultra Music Festival, which is an electronic dance music festival. So I love learning about emerging artists and different kinds of music from underground. Like I just would never have known about that. So... That being my little, I'm geeking out about your role at Pandora. Can you tell me what was your role at Pandora? Just let's geek out on the whole discovery aspect of music too, uh, because it did, it is the connective tissue between MySpace and Pandora. Pandora was also had a mission to democratize um, musicians too, and make sure that they use the music genome algorithm uh, to reflect and introduce you to new music that was similar to the, you know, the attributes of the music that you love, what you thumb up, what you thumb down. So uh, I could go on for hours about how cool and amazing the um, music genome project is and, and continues to be as a factor and a driving differentiator for Pandora. Um, my role there was a marketing role. And it was interesting because at the time I joined the company, um, we did not have a chief marketing officer, right? The growth of Pandora happened entirely organically. And uh, this was, we were one of the first apps to be on the iPhone, which was a key, you know, first mover advantage. Uh, but the experience of Pandora, it was unique in its time. There were no competitors that were like it. Um, and it was transformative. It redefined how people wanted to listen to music, right? And so instead of listening to full albums or on demand, it was this sort of lean back and uh, lean back discovery moment um, that was 
exactly providing you the music that we knew that you would like. What was that algorithm of the, let's give you what you, you like, you just don't know it. Did Pandora start that or are they the ones that just made it popular? No, Pandora started it. It was our, it's, it was the core, um, it, it's the core of the company even today, uh, I believe. Uh, and um, it, that was another really incredible moment because they score each and every piece of music that comes into Pandora on up to 450 different musicological attributes. And so then uh, once you get that scoring on and then you add in you know, your own personal taste, like you and I could start our own station but what I thumb up and thumb down is gonna deliver me on a different journey than when you thumb up and thumb down just based on our feedback and our interests. And I think that this Pandora is one of the true personalization companies um, as opposed to a recommendation company. A recommendation company, you know, just tells you what you th they think you might like based on your past purchases. Pandora like, takes into all account, all kinds of listening behaviors that you have, your thumb behavior, how much of a song you listen to, you know how quickly you skip around all those aspects come into consideration when delivering you music and ads wow that's just like mind-blowing because as a consumer i just thumb up and thumb down and then i get what i want or i don't and i skip and go create a different channel and it's yeah oh i also hear you talking a lot about algorithm and i've seen and read that you study the trends and it sounds like like do you, do you have a math background you seem to be good with Numbers. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a mathlete at all. I, nor am I an athlete. But I'm probably more of a mathlete than an athlete, if that makes sense. <laughs> I. I just love. Um, you know, data driven decisions, right? And uh, when you look in at all the data that you have and can glean insights from it, that point to long-term trends, for me, that's what's really exciting. And it's not just about looking at data, it's back to that uh, you know, topic we, we talked about with MySpace is like listening to uh, our fans, listening to our customers to understand and connect what the data trends say with what the actual attitudes and behaviors are of fans. What was the work environment like there? Because I'm thinking MySpace was really cool. Pandora seems like really cool. Was it like the beanbag open air concept situation or? Oh yeah, no, no. total beanbag chair, open floor, um, lots of snacks, uh, healthy snacks. Uh, there was both Pandora and, and MySpace did concerts uh, internally for the staff. So as musicians would tour through, um, they'd take a stop by uh, Pandora. We would run them through what do their analytics look like uh, from an artist perspective. So how many people added their stations, kind of geographic distribution of that, what the genders and age are. Uh, and it was really fun to share that information with the artists because some of them really got into it and were like, no way. Others were like, that wasn't their jam but their manager was into it so uh it's just new information to help you kind of think about how you and where you connect with fans so now transitioning to the nhl i imagine like you are now equipped with this amazing toolkit of all these different marketing experiences what strategy were you able to carry over and kind of build off of from your previous positions so um i i feel like 
my whole career has been like the training wheels to get to the NHL. And you bring with you a gift from every experience that you have throughout your career. And so, you know, that gift of like jumping into digital and not knowing what we're, what I was doing, right? But knowing that I knew marketing, that's exactly what I'm doing at the NHL. I didn't know hockey. I didn't know the business of sports, et cetera. But I had this deep experience, not only in marketing, but in digital marketing, social marketing, and uh, mobile marketing, which is really where the future is going uh, for, uh, for all of us in the marketing space. Uh, I also brought to uh, the NHL, um, you know, the, the communication and collaboration that happens in Silicon Valley, you know, everyone's writing on walls and desks and, you know, sharing ideas and connecting. That's something that, um, you know, bringing that into our space at the NHL, obviously there's a lot of collaboration and teamwork that happens at the NHL, but they're just like little different things that you can bring in from your, you know, previous experience that kind of change and morph and become their own thing here at the NHL. So that was really fun. Uh, the power of personalization and Dave and Derivative decisions. That's been a big foundation of what I brought in uh, and, you know, really focusing on looking at our entire fan base over the course of the years to understand who are our fans, you know, what demographics are they, what are their behaviors um, that we think are, you know, really interesting and how can we deepen fandom, uh, you know, and grow our fan base. So how can we attract some of those um, casual fans and young fans in and, you know, help them, you know, be introduced to and love the sport like we do. Uh, and so having that personalization is a real key um, element of that because when you look at how much media and content is out there, it's hard to sift through what is meaningful to you as a fan or you as a consumer. And so the ability to personalize um, helps break through the clutter and connect one-to-one -one with these fans. Can you give me a specific example of how to personalize content? So a very simple example is, um, you know, looking at our database, knowing what your favorite team is, right? So we do uh, daily tune-in emails to make sure everyone knows where the games are, et cetera. When we have a big 10 game night and we don't know what team you are, you get a lot of information. But if we know that you're on the, you love the flyers, then everything becomes about the flyers, the matchup for that night, et cetera. So uh, that's the level of personalization that we, uh, that, at the very simplest level that we want to go. And from my personal experience, just having an NHL app and having mine personalized to the Flyers, even in those little ways, I feel special, seen. Exactly. You talked about growing hockey. We know how important that is to the league, to the fans. Like we just know the importance of that. And you also mentioned how much content is out there. So how do we get the Gen Zers, the millennials, attention like what what are you doing what do you feel like is working because I know it is I read an amazing stat about you since you came in 33 percent growth on Instagram Facebook and Twitter's following that's incredible what what do you attribute that to Thank you. Uh, so I think the, you know, the first thing that we um, try to do is get into the mindset of the young fans. If we, you know, we need to really understand um, what's interesting to them, not just about hockey or the NHL, but about everything in life, all sports, media, technology, culture. Uh, this young generation is the most 
informed generation of our lifetimes. Imagine they grew up with literally with digital tools in their hands from the time they were born. There's no question that's ever gone unanswered by Google, right? So there's this sense of empowerment and this demand for innovation and um, this, uh, you know, uh, evolving uh, sort of uh, spirit around how fans want to relate with sports and teams. And what you'll see now is sort of the rise of the athlete as being the focus for these young fans. They, they will follow athletes first, then teams, then leagues. And in fact, they'll even follow athletes of sports they don't even watch just because they're really interesting humans. And as you sit through and, and talk with these young fans, you really understand they're, they're obsessed with this idea of progression. What is it that athletes do to become goats, right? And what can I do in my life to eat better, work out better, you know, or, or you know, have fashion sense or what music cues should I listen to? They, they, they really look up to these athletes as much more than just the sport they play in, uh, and, and the whole picture. And so, um, for us, it's been about how do we take this insight and really expand on it within our social media channels. So we lightened our tone. We we add we start to add in much more content beyond just the highlights. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it humans are greater than highlights. And we really focus in on those human moments, whether it's, you know, a player tossing a puck over to, you know, a young girl, or it's, you know, that player, you know, hanging out with his kids at home, doing some puck skills in the driveway. People want to know um, both sides of the athlete. And in this world of, you know, one-to-one -one connectedness, they expect to see that from from our athletes. And as you know, being in the hockey world, our hockey culture is not one to, to you know, put athletes out, single athletes out in front of the team. We are all about the name on the front of your sweater, not the name on the back. It's all team first. Nobody stands out. That is what's so beautiful about hockey. And our challenge is how do we reconcile those two things? Because it is equally important for fans to get what they want as it is for us to maintain our team atmosphere. And we believe um, you can do both. And there are lots and lots of uh, our NHLers that are out there doing both, where they're both you know, giving props to their team, but also giving fans a glimpse into their lives. It is so wild because I feel like you actually nailed, hit the nail on the head of what we've been trying to do since I started with the Flyers, which is just showcase the players' personalities. I know the league does an amazing job of pulling the moments, like you just said, throwing a puck to a fan or hockey at home. But is there anything that you've seen works from like a media day perspective to pulling personality out of, out of hockey players? We've done so many fun uh, things at media day. Uh, you know, like we had- I was at your Chicago media day two seasons ago and I was in the the gaming room where we played oh, yeah. NHL I think at the time it was 19 yeah. um, but I remember at the time I was excited to see Claude Giroux because he was there representing the Flyers so when he came in you know he told me what he had done before and I think there was like a snake possibly in another set yeah. oh no <laughs> <laughs> what's in the box that was our what's in the box series that we did with Paul Bissonnette uh, that was one of our, our more fun and famous series that was sort of the beginning of really trying to do 
very different content. So, you know, a lot of times the, you do the media tour and you talk about your tune in and, you know, watch here or there. But this was like really um, kind of fun, engaging content that was the gift that keeps on giving that we then could cut into little social snippets and sprinkle throughout the season. And we've had lots of fun stuff. We did the Justin Flom Matt Hockey Magic uh, last season. That was really cool. Um, I, I, I do think that more and more as the younger players come into the league who work were born and raised on social media and get it, they're going to be more comfortable with getting on social media. What we have to work on and showing their personality, what we have to work on is getting the, um, you know, the teams comfortable with the fact that it's okay to show your personality on social media, right? And um, being supportive of that. I do think that during the pandemic, um, you know, when we paused the, uh, our sport for a while, um, that's, one of the bright spots of that moment was all the players that participated in social media. We had 611 out of 700 players actively participate in social media, which was huge. And we uh, made a show, as you know, called Hockey at Home. It was both um, featuring our fans at home as well as our players at home. And uh, we had all the Zoom conferences and it really was an extraordinary time for our fans to get a peek into the personality and lives of our players. Yeah, and that was such, like you said, a silver lining of the pandemic. We got, everyone was bored at home and we got to take advantage of that a little bit. Now, that being said, I'm sure that's going to carry over. Like, are we going to expect to hopefully get to Zoom with our players forever and ever at home? Or, you know, like, what are some things from the pandemic that we got to do such as seeing in the lives of the athletes at home that we'll get to carry through to when things are back to normal? Yeah, I do hope that um, we'll continue to see players participate uh, in social media and showcase their personalities. When we get back, you know, one of the areas that we're missing right now are the fan moments. Those fan moments in the arena drive so much um, engagement in social media. And uh, we, you know, when you don't have it, that's when you really notice it. And um, those are some of those human, again, those human moments that are most relatable uh, that get, you know, viral, uh, go viral across all the social uh, media uh, networks. So we're uh, looking forward to having fans back in the building so we can combine like the in moment fan experiences with the off the ice to have a true total picture of who our amazing athletes are. Total media powerhouse. Yeah, I never thought about it, but we had 20,000 user generated content creators in our arena. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Just nothing will be the same until they're all back with us. But what I'm realizing we kind of skipped over, and that's my bad, is your role at the NHL, Chief Marketing Officer. Can you tell me what your day-to-day -day looks like? Like, what does today look like after this podcast? Oh, wow. Well, uh, my life right now is to about, you know, nine hours of Zoom calls. They start, I, I'm on the West Coast, by the way. So oh, good uh, morning. I, I, during the, you know, in the before times, I split my time between East and West. And so my husband and dog are out here in San Francisco. So ever since the pandemic hit, I've been home in San Francisco. So my Zoom calls start very early. So I do, uh, I have a standing, you know, 7 a.m. meeting every morning. Um, we do executive check-ins, uh, especially, you know, since we're all dispersed across North America, it's really important that we stay connected and communicating. And that, again, I think that's all 
also one of the benefits of the pandemic is it's, you know, it's been a force function for even more communication and connection uh, that so it's, you know, gotten better, even better over time. Uh, and so uh, do a lot of Zoom meetings. A lot of them are focused on um, planning ahead for the content, as well as the living in the moment, like, because uh, in my remit, uh, I'm in charge of social media, fan engagement. So all the data and email and fan engagement quizzes and polls and things that go out uh, and insights that come from our, our NHL power players, all of these, um, you know, insights, data points, uh, and content in real time influence what we're going to do tomorrow or the next day or the next day. So we try to learn and build as we go as, as, and balance that with long site, long-term planning. How um, far in advance do you plan the content that goes out, like the polls and everything you just mentioned? Uh, I'd say um, a week to two weeks out, but with some of the polls and the quizzes, right? If a player is out uh, or, you know, or is injured, whatever, we have to adjust and quickly adapt. And so we are in, literally in real-time marketing up to the day before something gets published to make sure that it's, you know, relevant for the moment. Or, you know, every night there's unscripted drama on the ice. Like what's the drama on the ice, the, the most important story that we want to bring to life? And, you know, how do we pump up that rivalry? Like we, we've got this unique, opportunity right now with the realignment of the divisions uh, and, you know, to stoke some of those like, you know, hundred year old rivalries, but also, you know, kind of find the new rivalries, whether it's between teams, between players, or even fan bases. Yeah, no, I think that's been a fun thing that we're all looking forward to. We've already gotten to see it build so far. So again, another silver lining of, of these times. Um, you mentioned power players and I just saw new, new members were added to the advisory. Can you talk to me about power players? And this seems like a really cool, like as if you're like mentoring these teens. It's such, I don't know who's mentoring whom. It's a mutually beneficial relationship, I believe. Um, so the, the, the story behind this is uh, when I first joined the league, this young girl named Sabrina Solomon wrote me a letter, like a handwritten letter. I don't know when the last time you got a handwritten letter was, but it was pretty awesome. And she said, you know, hey, she was a huge hockey fan and she read the article and that, you know, she saw that I'm trying to, you know, create programs that are relevant for the next generation of fans and boy, she had all these ideas and would love to, you know, share them. And she offered to work for free, like, cause she was off on summer break, which of course we can't do. It was super cute. So we invited her into the league and I organized a meeting with a bunch of different people around the office thinking she'd want to see what a potential career could be at the NHL. And she and her mom came in and she came in with a whole PowerPoint filled with ideas. And she, you know, was in our boardroom and presented them to everybody. And she was so impressive. And and one of the biggest aha moments of that day was she had a lot of ideas in the deck that we were already doing, but she wasn't aware of them. And here she is, huge hockey fan, knows all the rules in the book by the number and wasn't aware of some of these programs. So that is a lesson to all marketers is, you know, just because you think you're reaching, you know, the fans always check to make sure. So she inspired um, our first youth advisory board called the Power Players. And uh, we recruited, uh, for the first year, we, we recruited 15 power players. 
And we went through an application process. We advertised on NHL Network and all of our channels. We had 1,500 applications come in. We narrowed it down, did you know final video interviews, and then had this group of power players. And the idea was we would meet, you know, once a quarter uh, to just, you know, get feedback on our plans. And we were doing Zoom with the power players before it was a thing with everyone. So it was uh, it was kind of fun. Um, what we realized was they wanted to have much more feedback and interaction than just once a quarter. So um, we, you know, expanded it. We did, you know, they came to a couple of our events like Winter Classic and All Star. Uh, and then when we went on pause, we moved to um, uh, using both Zoom and Slack to keep the conversation going. And um, there were times during the, the pause that, you know, we'd be, before hockey returned for our playoffs, we would be watching live streams of NHL 20 being played on Twitch while on, you know, Slack with these power players and hearing, just watching how they, uh, they um, view what's happening and the information that they share is just so incredible because it helps us think about what's important to talk about from a marketing perspective on a social perspective when you have that limited attention span to get their attention. So they've been tremendous in terms of giving us all kinds of feedback, real and raw. You have to be able to, you know, you have to have thick enough skin to take the feedback because th this generation will give it to you, right? And I appreciate that and take it all as constructive and, you know, we live and, and um, learn and optimize for another day. So, so now we are in our second season of the power players. We decided to bring, um, make it so we could have some of the power players from the previous um, season who wanted to reapply, um, stay on board. Uh, so that we could have, you know, some sort of passing of the baton and uh, mentorship happening. And then we recruited uh, new power players. So we have a total of 25. We just did our orientation and uh, we know a lot more now about what the best way is to set up um, the Zoom sessions and Slack sessions to get focused. I mean, I, I'd say that's probably the hardest thing is keeping everyone focused on the topic of the day. Uh, but it's also really the best part because you get to see how their minds work, which is never focused on a single topic. Uh, and, uh, you know, and we've grown from there. And there's so many insights um, that they've either validated through power players or illuminated for us. So the whole humans over or greater than highlights, that's still, you know, consistent. They talk about, um, you know, all the athletes that they follow. They, and it just, surprises me every day they they see everything that's out there and have you know and have experienced it and have opinions on it etc whether it's an athlete post from you know uh, around the world or you know somebody in our own league they've seen it and tracked on it um the other aspect of what's really important to them is, and you said it earlier, this idea of see me. Um, seeing me is really important, right? Um, that little bit of acknowledgement from a league, a club, a player, if it's a like, or it's a, you know, some acknowledgement that you exist as a fan is so important to these young fans. And that has inspired a lot of the programming that we've done throughout the pandemic and, and currently. So we had our hockey at home. Um, we, we focused on, um, uh, you know, all kinds of ways 
ways to get our, our fans to submit content, et cetera, uh, to um, help us build our programs for the future. And during the playoffs, we had programs like our warm-up signs where uh, they would tweet their warm-up signs and we would um, show those warm-up signs on these giant screens while the players were in the arena. And the clubs who took a snap to shot of the players seeing the warm-up sign and then posted it onto their social media channels to give close the loop and reward them. That was um, really, really key in that whole process. Now, I'm still very impressed by Sabrina. How old was Sabrina when she did this? Because it sounds like she, she was, was 11, which no. is to be a power player. So, and it took us a couple of years to, to get the, to get it going. But um, yeah, she was 11. Uh, so once we got all the, you know, we're, we're working with kids. So we had to make sure that we had all of the proper, you know, forums and, and, um, uh, and releases and relationships with the parents uh, is just as important as the kids. And so, you know, I've met all their parents, we talk on a regular basis, etc, just to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to, you know, give give them the experience of the lifetime. That is so cool. What is the, um, the max age you can be to enter the program? It's 13 to 17 year olds. And um, we we did that very intentionally because once you graduate from high school and, and go into college, we we didn't want to have sort of college students overshadowing the, you know, that 13 to 17 year old perspective. And so um, so we, we do that. We do focus groups, however, uh, across multiple generations uh, on an ongoing basis that are not our power players, but just focus groups across North America really um, trying to look into the lens of the casual fan and how they view hockey, how they view NHL and how we can, you know, continue to tap into the things and the opportunities that would encourage them to watch hockey. How can someone listening apply to be part of one of those focus groups? I know I'm going to get that question. Oh, wow. Uh, Gee, that's a great question because um, we usually partner with a research firm. So, uh, but you know, I'm always uh, open hearing ideas from our fans. So, uh, always listening. And it sounds like the handwritten note really touched you. So, maybe that's the route instead of typing out an email, they mail you something. <laughs> Exactly. It stands out because I've got a thousand emails, but I only had one letter, you know? <laughs> and that's the biggest question I always get, and I'm sure you get it, is how do I get to where you're at? What stands out? What do I do to separate myself from the pack? So another tip, handwritten letter is an example of a way to stand, of how to stand out. No, it's, I, I love that so much. And she was 11. And she's on our board again. So this is her second season on our board. So. I can't wait. Um, once we jump off, I'm totally Googling the profile pictures. I can't wait to see little Sabrina because now I've got a whole profile behind her. Oh, and they're all fantastic. I am so excited about this, this um, young group. Yeah. That's so cool. Now you mentioned like how important it is to feel seen. I feel like the league does a really great job. There's all these initiatives that the league is always behind right now. It's the beginning black history month. This will air actually in March, our episode, which we've got gender equality month, but can you talk about the importance of these different initiatives and how the league does really put their full force behind them? 
Absolutely. Um, I, I would be remiss if not talking about one of our newest and, and most popular programs that we're doing in the, the Be Seen category, um, which is our Creator uh, of the Week program, where we're sourcing creators on Reddit and TikTok and, and Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, they may be the most amazing artists ever. Like, uh, you know, this Daniel Pine, he uh, is a uh, uh, pencil drawer of, you should check out the artwork. It's incredible. It looks so lifelike uh, that you can't believe it's actually a pencil drawing, but we, we spotted him and featured him on our uh, Instagram and boom, after that, he started to get commissions for commission to do more artwork by players and, you know, the hockey community because he's so talented and so great. And then that turned into an interview with NHL Network that was like an eight minute segment on how this has transformed his life. And it's all because of his passion for hockey and his skills for art, but he was not applying that as a, you know, as a career, it was just a hobby. So anytime we can shine the light on somebody who's got crazy hockey skills, like we find these young kids, uh, especially young girls who have all these amazing hand skills, like they're the next Sydney Crosby, right? And we want to showcase and feature them. So you're going to see a lot more of um, these moments um, moving forward. Um, this month, Black Wait. History Month is, oh, go ahead. I have to ask you this because I'm going to get it. Okay. If I'm one of these girls and I want to showcase my skills, are there certain hashtags I should be using to be seen by the NHL? Because I know you've got a team of people scrubbing through all this content. And I know as being on the back end of that, it's hard to sometimes, you know, there's a lot. Is there anything they can do to help their content get seen by the league? Is it a hashtag? Is it at? Is it, you know what I mean? Yeah, they could. We, when we do um, programs where we're calling for content, we definitely put hashtags out there. Uh, but in general, I think if you tag the NHL or you know um, hashtag NHL in there, uh, we'll we'll be looking for you. So, yeah, we'll keep our eyes out for you. And the TikTok community has been phenomenal. Um, that is one area where. We just did a really cool um, uh, stunt to launch the season, which Wes McCauley, who's um, one of the NHL's most favorite refs, um, kicked it off with like, how are you preparing for opening, you know, opening night? And uh, the clubs and fans kind of stitched that in and showed us their, uh, you know, how they were preparing. And it was, it was super fun. And the TikTok community um, has recognized that we're recognizing a lot of creators there. And so once that happens, you start to get a lot more, um, you know, content surfacing. And, you know, when we did the, the, the TikTok stitch stunt, um, we used the hashtag NHL faceoff, which was the opening um, hashtag for our season. And we got 3 billion with a B views on it across TikTok, which is incredible. Those aren't in, you know, individual humans, but that's how many times your, your hashtag was picked up and used. And some of it's not, you know, by hockey fans, but that's okay because it's exposing everyone to NHL. Wow. So yeah, if you're listening and you're not already, follow the NHL on all of these different platforms to see when you guys are doing these kind of things and calling out creators, because I didn't even know about these all of these unique opportunities. Absolutely, and we're super excited about um, everything that we're doing for Black History Month too. Uh, and you know, as we we think back to you know what's important to our next generation fans, we talked about humans are greater than highlights and see me. The the other point that is critical to understand from a marketing perspective is that 
inclusivity is uh, table stakes with this generation. If you're not an inclusive brand, if you're not focused on shared values, then they that next generation is going to abandon you. They're, they want to align themselves, spend their time and their energy and their money with brands that share their values. And so uh, we've been you know, working a long time on really expanding our hockey is for everyone programming and content. And it's an action that we take in all the communities uh, we've got, you know, all kinds of um, educational programs out there. And with hockey, uh, with uh, Black History Month, we just in partnership um, with our friends uh, at EverFi and um, Bryant McBride launched a whole curriculum around the Willie O'Ree documentary. This curriculum can then be taken into the classroom and really, you know, teach kids about, you know, overcoming adversity, really sticking to your passion and, you know, rising above and, you know, really with the, the goal of keeping kids interested and involved in hockey uh, and, you know, for as either, you know, athletes or fans of the future. And so this month we have a lot of content where we, um, you know, the first week we're really honoring um, the legends and the icons and that we're breaking, you know, the barriers here at the league. We're going to focus on the intersectionality between women and race in hockey. So you've got Angela James and Blake Bolden and Sarah Nurse and Kelsey Colser and Kiana Scott. These are all really um, amazing women of color in hockey that we want to shine a light, a uh, bright light on. And then at the end of the month, we're going to really focus on the future, uh, you know, quit Byfield and uh, all the young talent that's coming into the league uh, and really focus on uh, who they are and what they bring to the game. We don't, you know, we don't limit ourselves uh, to just a month, whether it's, you know, Black history or gender, but it's still, uh, it's nice to have uh, an opportunity to connect with and shine a light on um, our, our, our amazing stories that we have in the league. And that being said, I feel like now is a good time because I told you I took uh, questions from our fan base and what they wanted to know from you. One is how is the game marketed differently in Canada versus USA? We didn't touch on that. So are there any major differences? Hockey in Canada is like the NFL in the United States. It's the dominant sport. It's the, uh, um, you know, you do have a really strong fan base. So it's not as much work on trying to um, introduce new audiences to the, the sport, uh, but it is equally important, whether you're in Canada or the US, to make sure that we're relevant to the next generation, whether you're an avid fan or a casual fan, making sure that we're bringing the content and the storylines uh, to the forefront that we think are important for, um, again, for, for engagement and for relevance. So I'd say they're similar in that sense. Uh, but in the US, we do we have a lot more work to do, especially in some markets where hockey is, you know, a new is new into that or new-ish into that market. It's not been around for a hundred years like it has been in Canada, right? And so um, we've had such incredible introduction of um, teams and, you know, having Tampa win the Stanley Cup and Vegas coming on the scene in these what quote unquote non-traditional hockey markets has been enormously beneficial for the sport because I think what a lot of these clubs are doing really well is they're taking the combination of entertainment and sport and bringing it together in one place. So 
We're really excited about that. We're excited to continue to grow among young fans. We're super psyched for the Kraken to come on the scene next year. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the, the biggest difference. Um, another one is, do you have any tips on how to be a successful woman in a male dominated industry? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I get that question a lot. And when I reflect back into my life and my career, I've often been one of the only or few women at the table in the exec room. And so I've never even really seen myself as a woman in that situation. I've seen myself as a colleague and, you know, a coworker and continue to do um, what, you know, I've always done, which is focus on the results. Like what is the, what are the objectives we're trying to solve? Um, what is the, you know, business we're trying to solve? I do think that having, um, you know, you're, when you're in a room with a lot of men, having data in your back pocket to validate your points uh, is definitely beneficial because uh, nobody can dispute the data, right? Uh, and it's not, a, you know, it's not a feeling. It's really a data-driven, um, rational uh, recommendation. So I, I do think that that's great. Um, if you know, one of the pieces of advice I received when I was a new executive and going into my first kind of big role, um, not at the NHL, but a, a job prior to that. Um, but a friend of mine said, you know what, um, you know, don't let anyone change you. You're where you are because of who you are. And that's always stuck with me, right? You have to be true to who you are. You can't shape shift to fit into a culture or be something that you're not because you're never going to feel, you know, um, uh, resolved internally. And so you got to be true to who you are. And, uh, and I think that's um, true for work and for life. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that having that confidence just in your own skin, like you said, if it got you there, then there's something special there. So keep, keep riding out and being true to yourself. Sometimes you have to have people remind you of that though, you know, cause you get so focused and you can, it's important to step back and take a look at um, everything that's happened around you, what you've, you know, contributed uh, to the overall business growth and what you've learned from it so that you can be, you know, appreciative of where you are and see where you need to go. Do you feel like you have to remind yourself or do you take time to self-reflect and look back and go, hey, we did a, a, a lot, there was a lot of growth here. Like that was, that was great. Yeah, I, I try to do both, but I, um, I'm a thinker. Like I, I like to look back and see the data and then try to push it forward. And so I'm always thinking about like, what could we optimize? What could we tweak? Um, is this insight really, you know, leading us someplace or, you know, wow, we've seen that insight in five different places. This is a thing. This is a trend. We need to get on it. So uh, I, I always feel like I'm in a perpetual learning cycle, uh, but to, you know, it, it is important to step back. And that's why, you know, when you do like these wrap reports, right. For like all of the, the first week of face off and you can step back and see all the things that went into delivering that first week of hockey for everyone around the world, um, then you can truly appreciate the, you know, connection, the collaboration and the work that goes into, uh, you know, putting on major league sports. I can only imagine what your analytics look like because I know ours are staggering. So I can't imagine times all of the teams, um, but you did mention, you know, like it is good to pump yourself up or have, have someone remind you, like you're great at what you're doing. Do you have someone that is your go-to to pump you up? Like for me, it's my mom. She'll, I could literally trip and she's like, but it was a good trip. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Uh, you know who's really amazing is Gary Bettman. He's my boss and he is um, such a supporter. He is always out there challenging us to be our best, but also seeing, you know, what you bring to the table. So um, he, he's fantastic. And then my husband's always cheering me on too, which is great. And my dog. So what kind of dog do you have? Oh, he's a rescue pup and he's mostly an Australian cattle dog. Very smart and very silly. And uh, I think that we're both going to have separation anxiety when we get back into the real world and have to work in offices again. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> Everybody needs a dog. Life is too short to not have a dog. I wish the Flyers had a team pup. The Flyers, like we have a lot of teams that have team pups. You have every uh, opportunity to join the join the crew. You've got your team. Your team pup though is like the most famous of all, which is Gritty. Like he's not a he's a entity in and of himself. True, true. But I'll I'll keep trying to press the team pup. See what happens you know then. the um the players love the pups too right you know when you think about when you win and when you lose there's nothing like having a dog if you're having a bad day come give you a little kiss you know so might be might be good therapy you're right i think these are all great points to bring to our top executives so i will do so do i have your blessing <laughs> i think brownie said <laughs> I love the dogs though, because um, they all have social media accounts. And so uh, we follow each other. And so some, you know, sometimes I'll get like a lake from Bark Andre Fleury and I just get really excited about it. <laughs> that's hilarious. And it's funny because you mentioned like players love their dogs and that's like 90% of the content that I will see from our players, you know, their personal content is like yesterday, you know, we had a big snowstorm here in Philly. So Oscar Lindblom and his dog. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's just, Cute. I know. Um, let me just get through these last ones so I can let you go. Um, this one is what change has the pandemic brought on that you want to continue post pandemic? I know we touched on a lot of the looking into the players' lives and getting, you know, more personal with them. Is there anything else in addition to that? The work that we're doing around fan engagement, you know, fans love like the trivia and the quizzes and, you know, posting or sharing their, you know, content of what, you know, their crazy skills are or their fan caves are. I mean, we're going to continue with a deep focus on spotlighting and highlighting and engaging our fans in interesting ways and hoping that that also interests and brings along uh, casual fans into our sport. Yeah. Um, and then this last one is, do you have any tips for people graduating school this May and trying to get a marketing job in sports? Yes, there is a website called Teamwork Online, and that's where all sports jobs are posted, whether it's an internship or, um, you know, a sports job. Um, if you're into sports, you should definitely look there uh, to see what's um, open and available. Of course, this is kind of a crazy uh, time right now, but I'd also say sports happen in a lot of places, right? So don't limit yourself to, I have to work in a team or a league, right? You could work at Instagram. They've got a whole group of people focused on sports or TikTok or, you know, working at NBC or, you know, one of the media companies. Um, sports comes in lots of different places and spaces. So, uh, and, and you know, learn the skill that you're good at and then find the place to apply it as opposed to trying to go, right out and say you're going to be a CMO and you have to get a marketing job, you might have a different path to get there. 
and you prove that. Yeah. Uh, Heidi, so many tips. I, I'm so excited for all of our listeners to hear this. I really appreciate you spending the past hour with me. It was great. It was so fun. I told you guys you'd probably want your notebook out because this conversation was jam-packed with advice and tips that I really hope you gained something from. Whether you are looking to get into the sports industry or maybe you're a parent and you've got a kid who's interested in sports, there's so many different ways to get involved via TikTok, hashtags, contests, things the league's putting out. Uh, power players sounds super cool. So yeah. Like I said, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And as always, please rate, review, and subscribe if you are not already. That way you do not miss the next episode. And until that, stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you on the next one.